calling all Gen Xers. Were you born in the 1970s or early 80s? Have memories of getting up early to watch cartoons on Saturday mornings? If you can name all of the original MTV VJs without hesitation, you have found your podcast. Hosted by filmmaker, DJ, and lover of all things analog, Roy Turner. As we take you back to a simpler time of your biggest concern was asking Santa for an Atari or Nintendo for Christmas. We bring you all the spoils of being a kid in the generation of excess and a teenager heading towards a new millennium with all the music, games, movies, and events that shaped us proudly as Generation X as we celebrate growing up 80s and boomed in the 90s. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Growing Up 80s and Groomed in the 90s. I, of course, I'm your host, as always, Roy Turner. Man, I, the show I have for you today is something, as a kid, I couldn't even have imagined or even would have thought was ever <laughs> in the realm of possibility. Joining us today is not only Uncle Rich Klein uh, from back in the baseball card days, but the man himself, Dr. James Beckett, is here. So we are so super duper excited. It's a one-two punch uh, here. I want to tell you a little bit about it. So again, if you grew up in the 80s and were groomed in the 90s, uh, especially if you were a young person like we were at the end of that decade, uh, you were probably interested in baseball cards. It was this huge boom, especially that kind of started around 87. We're focusing primarily on 1989 uh, for today's episode, and 1989 was one of the most bonkers, bananas years for baseball and baseball cards. Of course, when I think of 1989, I think of Kevin Mitchell's bareheaded catch and the All-Star game with Bo Jackson and Wade Boggs leading off with back-to-back -back home runs, with Ronald Reagan, uh, oddly, on commentary. Um, the earthquake that hit the World Series that year. Nolan Ryan throwing his 5,000 strikeout. I mean, it goes on and on and on. The whole Pete Rose scandal. Uh, and just so many great, great things. And what really framed that period for me was me and my friend Steve would always would go each month to get the Beckett baseball card monthly price guide. It was it was like Christmas every month. It was just this massive event for us. And we would seek out seek out the magazine. I don't know why we didn't have subscriptions. And we would go back to either his place or mine uh, and just pour over every every word, every listing. Uh, I even had this set up in my house that uh, my, my room I should say where every if a card reached a dollar i mean if it was worth it, that that was something because well, most of the cards were you know 50 cents so it hit a dollar and made what i called the wall and so back then i probably only had like maybe you know 15 or 20 cards that that you know so it was so you're like well, golly you know what if i had this huge collection that where i had to put 300 cards on the wall no but it did grow until almost about i had this one part of the wall that had about i think i, I did it in rows of 10 and i think i made it to like 80. and then after i had to have to get a little picky like well maybe it's you know five dollars or something you know but anyway and and i encouraged you to do the same thing and he kind of had a, had a bit of a similar setup but just one of those great joyous times in your life as a young person and you know to us you know Jim Beckett was a celebrity and so for us to be able to sit down with him and chat uh, and it's all again thanks to Uncle Rich Klein who was a major contributor uh, to the magazine and then 
and was an official employee um, uh, around that time as well. So, so to be able to sit down with them again, again, endless thanks to Rich because he's the one that made this happen and set this up for us. So when I say the one-two punch is what you're getting today is you're going to get you're getting the podcast. You're getting pretty much the majority of the conversation. Uh, that we had, uh, but we also filmed it uh, pretty cool, of course, for our upcoming, you know, docu series. That and this is just kind of, uh, you know, this is, <clears throat> excuse me, this is just the companion uh, to that docu series. And I wanted to take a couple of things real fast before I bring Rich and uh, and uh, Dr. Beckett on here. Is so I mentioned my friend Steve that you know he and I hadn't been to a card show together uh, since the National uh, was here in in Arlington way back in 1990, uh, and so we actually you know we, we've been back in touch and we've been you know our our common bond was of course baseball cards and metal, and that's what when you'll see the the episode uh, for 1989. The of course the film episode uh, of the docu series, it's going to have this great dichotomy of of all about 1989, and it's going to be about metal and baseball cards, because that's what just you know governed. That's what just controlled, not controlled, but you know, that was what just captured us in 1989. So I'm very excited to bring that to you later this year. Uh, the video version. <clears throat> We're going to have a big release party. We're going to show the first episode and the last one <clears throat> with hopes that we can, of course, you know, uh, you know, inspire others to give us more money to make the rest of them. <laughs> We've got some deals and, you know, some, some few things in place here for that. But, uh, but you know, obviously we need that. Um, and of course, our King's X project is still chugging along, man. You know, we're, we're clicking off one at a time. And uh, I'm wrapping everything up this year. I guarantee you, I can guarantee you, you will see this movie in 2024. I turn 50 next year. I turn 49 uh, this coming Sunday. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, next year is going to be a big year. I'm going to have both of these big projects out <clears throat> and turning 50 and and all those wonderful things. Uh, a few more things here. Uh, I want to tell you, speaking of my, my birthday, this weekend, March the 3rd, you can find us. Uh, we will be rocking with the mighty Steel Panther. Speaking of 80s and 80s hair metal, if you love that stuff, you got to love those guys. And they're also, uh, the guitar player Satchel is actually part of our King's X film. Uh, and shout out to Joe Lester. He's their bass player, longtime tour manager guy. And <coughs> so again, this Friday, March 3rd, we'll be at the House of Blues in Dallas, Texas, rocking with the, the mighty Panther of Steel. And then on Saturday, uh, we will be at Tex, uh, the new AT&T Stadium, of course, in Arlington, Texas, uh, for the Mighty Monster Jam. Uh, then big weekend plan again. And Sunday morning, we will be, for half of the day, we will be at the Retro Expo in Allen, Texas. Uh, this is a great, great thing that they've been doing. And we've, been, we've gone to the last two that were... In, I think in the Plano Convention Center. Now they've moved over to Allen. They're having twice as much space. Um, I think, uh, let's see, uh, Gina Shock and Kathy Valentine, the, the rhythm section uh, for the Go-Go's, one of my all-time favorite bands of any decade, but especially of the 80s. They're going to be there. It's a great, great lineup. Uh, tickets are still available at the door. Make sure you check that out. And then, how I mentioned about the card show uh, that... Uh, Steve and I went to uh, back in January. They do this pretty much bi-monthly, 
And uh, the next one's coming up is the following weekend, March 9th through the 12th. Uh, and then Dr. Uh, excuse me, Rich Klein, our guest today, Rich Klein, and Dr. James Beckett will be there in the Starlight Room all set up. And uh, Rich has got us all set up, and I want to give a shout-out to him to thank him for that as well. We're very looking forward to returning to the Dallas Card Show. Again, that's going to be a water, it's at the Allen Convention Center in Waters Creek. So uh, a big, big time coming up in Allen uh, these next uh, couple of weekends. That's the in-person stuff. But you also you don't want to miss uh, our Twitch stream, which, of course, is at twitch.tv slash DJTrickyKid. It's under my DJ uh, alias there. And we do a lot of 80s stuff. We do retro gaming uh, on top of, of course, DJ, uh, you know, sets and, and tutorials. We got a big beer brewing class coming up. And because it is my birthday, I wanted to thank all of my listeners and sponsors and, uh, you know, just everybody that's, that's been so supportive of the channel. They've sent me a bunch of stuff. I'm very, very grateful for that. I'll be doing a live unboxing uh, this coming Thursday, March the 2nd. Uh, make sure you're a part of that and uh, I'm sorry on March the 1st excuse me and March the 2nd we're gonna have a very live special guest at 4 p.m. I can't tell you who it is you got you have to tune in but you don't want to miss it 4 p.m. Central Standard Time twitch.tv slash DJ tricky kid and one last thing I wanted to mention also we will be at of course the Texas pinball festival the following weekend uh, if you're a fan of 80s retro stuff, you got to get down to the Texas Pinball Festival. Uh, it's right here in Frisco uh, at the Embassy Suites Hotel there. It's one of my favorite weekends of the entire year. I look forward to it all year. And you rock fans out there, I just heard that, the, that they're going to be debuting the new Foo Fighters um, pinball machine. That's you know, Stern's been kind of doing a, like a band one every year. They did Rush, one of our favorite bands last year. It looks like this year's going to be the Foo Fighters. So I just saw a little bit of it online. I haven't, uh, so I'm looking forward to being able to play that uh, as well. Make sure you're following us on Twitter under Growing Up 80s. That's Growing underscore Up 80s. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me on Instagram under DJ Tricky Kid. Make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you have the iHeartRadio app where you can get this show each and every week. Uh, and also, you can catch up on all of your favorite uh, episodes that you might have missed. So, without any further ado, baseball card fans rejoice. Uh, I, the King is here, uh, Uncle Rich Klein, and Dr. James Beckett. First of all, Dr. Beckett, I'm Roy Turner. It's good to meet you. Good to meet you too, Roy. My very first question is, was Beckett published in Dallas in the 80s? The Beckett Publications was always in Dallas, but my publishing efforts and authoring efforts and all the stuff I did was, some of that was up in Ohio. My first price survey was in 1976 when I was a professor. And then the first book, the 1979, the annual price guide. And then I moved in summer of 1980 to Dallas, and I've been here ever since. It's interesting to me because I moved here in 87. And like most kids that were 13 in 87, hunting for Beckett each month was our all consuming goal. Okay. I don't know why, for the life of me, that I just found out that Beckett was in Dallas <laughs> like last month. Oh, my goodness. It's in the fine print, Roy. Our goal was to make it not be challenging to find it because we really had a lot of card shops that carried it. And of course, we had a lot of subscribers too. 
Well, it doesn't speak to its lack of distribution. I just thought it was a funny antidote to share with you. I guess having a subscription would have been out of my capacity, mm -hmm. 13 or even with my parents. We'd go to the card shops. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it would be sold out. We lived in a small, you were Crowley, Texas. To get Beckett meant having to beg mom, which she was very supportive, and get to Fort Worth. Probably. Find a card shop. Yeah. And then find a card shop that hadn't sold out of it. And my goodness, holding that in my hand was like Christmas every month. When did you become aware this was such a big deal and meant so much to so many young people? Well, it was a big deal to me. <laughs> we weren't really thinking about what circulation needed to be other than we were publishing magazines and trying to get them out there where people would want them and making something that was accurate and timely. Our desire to not overproduce, which is a big problem in our industry and really was a big problem right at that time period in 87 to 92, you've got the height of the overproduced era. I was the boss. I didn't want to overproduce. And so it sounds like I underproduced for you that you were not able to get the magazine if you didn't get there right at the beginning. This isn't meant to pick a bone or anything. <laughs> uh, it's statute of limitations, Roy. That's too funny. When did you become aware of the impact you were having? We were successful right from the beginning of putting out a magazine that people liked. And then more and more people liked it. And they told their friends. I can remember even back then, you were already becoming like a celebrity. <laughs> Baseball magazine, which was the only one at that time, was, it had my name on it. And I was a very serious collector, and I'd been a very serious dealer before, and so I was known in the industry. But what you're talking about is the late 80s, early 90s, all of a sudden became more of a cultural phenomenon to where even people that were casual collectors or say, hey, what's going on? And they'd come in and say, hey, you've got to get this magazine, it'll really help you with your collecting. And that was gratifying, but it's a moving target. It's just got to keep going. How much do you, did the industry, like, make Beckett successful? And how much did Beckett make the industry successful at that time? It was catalytic. I love the hobby, so I wanted to help promote the hobby. Was that self-promotion? I didn't think of it that way, but certainly we were blessed and benefited as the hobby increased. You couldn't separate the two because you would collect the cards, but you would collect the cards so that you could get the Beckett magazine. <laughs> the, the cards are the main thing. We would have editorial meetings and talk about the competition. People have to peel off $2.50 to buy one instead of buying cards. So we let's just make the best magazine we can. But it was always to go along with the cards. The magazine's about the cards. The cards really needed to come first. The monetary value has never really been important to me. My mother gifted me a 1974 Mike Schmidt, the year I was born. So it didn't matter if it went up or down, but there was this wave that was fun to rock. We had a team that had editorial design excellence. People would buy the magazine for the covers or the price guide or the articles. We wanted each of those components to be the best they could be. And we had outstanding team, had a good understanding of what we were trying to convey. What was it about that 87 set that just spoke to so many people. You had an amazing crop of rookies, Bonds and Conseco, Bo Jackson, a new crop of iconic stars, and it, it just hit. I think the 86 World Series played a, a, a major role with the Mets. Also, you had 1987 in the fall, you had a huge crash in the market, which was the first instance of a major 
counter-cyclical movement of at least vintage cards, within a couple of months, there was a huge run on the vintage cards. It was the first great big bump, and it was precipitated by a bad stock market in the fall of 87. So which again then brought more people in and they bought more cards and the cards were more produced and we did more magazines and and it, it kept going 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 bigger and bigger and bigger 87 and 92 would have been my prime collecting time what do you think is the craziest not only just with cards but the baseball season between that period i can't help but think that 1989 is like the most bonkers year. It was it seemed like there was so much going on. What when you think of nineteen eighty nine It's Ken Griffey Junior, number one, eighty nine upper deck. Put them on the map. And the hobby's not been the same. A master stroke of picking a card number one. It's now the most graded card of all time. Was it anything you you were foreshadowing or inside knowledge about? We knew what was going on the year before, but you don't know what's going to happen because our price guides are aftermarket, secondary market sales. But then we're tracking what do individual cards sell in the secondary market. And so you can't know that. While you reminisce about your first kiss on a waterbed after a long night at the skating rink, we're going to take a quick break to fix the TV antenna and hear from these great sponsors. Thanks all, all to my listeners and sponsors. Uh, Brought to you by HelloFresh. Make sure you're checking in there. We want you to use our code. Uh, if you log on to HelloFresh and use our code, uh, just type in Tricky Kid, you will get 21 free meals plus free delivery. And also, if you want it, and also uh, check out Factor, that's kind of like Uber Eats, that's also uh, brought to you by HelloFresh. Hi, this is Natalie Cox. I play Juno Eclipse in The Force Unleashed, and you're listening to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Tanner. Well, my name's Rich Klein, and I've been in the hobby since the late 1970s. My first shows are in, are in like 1977, and I contributed to Jim's uh, price guides as a contributor before I got hired in 1990. I work for a, a company called ComC, or check out my cards, and I'm basically fixing stuff in the database and I'm adjust and I'm adding stuff to the database and I do other work within it. I feel like I'm a lifer. I got my first card in 1956. It's interesting, your bolts are still part of this wonderful hobby all these years later. I think Rich and I both have a feeling that we can bring some order to it because we have good memories and synthesize things. The hobby needed that. We really took it seriously that we wanted to be an accurate catalog, and Rich epitomized that. I have to ask, when it came to the Billy Ripken error card, how was that dealt with? I was managing a card shop at the time, and we had people coming in like it was the greatest thing, and it really galvanized the hobby. This came out before the Griffey. Upper Deck is still a month or two from the very first packs even hitting the store. And then you had to learn how to read the cases on FLIR to know which Ripken. And then they, they tried to deal with it, and there are like nine different variations, a couple of which you can't really list because you can... They can be reproduced without recognition of how it was done. Are you saying that in 1989 the big news in the hobby was Billy Ripken, not Ken Griffey Jr.? Right, because remember that Griffey is a prospect. He doesn't make the majors till April. Yeah. The Ripken card comes out in January. 
Yeah. Upper Deck doesn't hit. I think the store in George Moore's store in Tulsa gets the first Upper Deck case, I think, in the end of February. So there's a void there. And so to begin the year, it is the Ripken to begin the year. And it was an important card. How did we land on Rick Face? We, everyone in this room knows what the actual word is. Jim, you were there. You're the one that made the decision. Uh, it was a judgment call. It had to have been maybe the only time where you had to make a decision like that. This was national news. Rich, do you think that was more important than Billy Ripken variations or Rick Face or Ken Griffey Jr.? You've got Greg Jeffries, who was the rage, and you've got this unproven Ken Griffey. Which, which would you rather have? In hindsight, we would have rather had the Griffey. And 89. Who would be the 89 guy? Well, I mean, 89, yeah. you have Jim Abbott. You have yeah. all the guys from the 88 Olympic team. Jerome Walton. It's also an interesting year because 1989 is, in my opinion, one of the biggest mistakes baseball ever made. It's the last year you had the Saturday afternoon games on broadcaster-free TV. Mm. In 1990, they go to the uh, CBS, which gave them a ton more money but didn't have the games on every Saturday afternoon, and that's part of the problem baseball's having today. We still had a lot of, all in those days, free TV coverage. Yeah. I think of Nolan Ryan throwing his 5,000 strikeout, and I think about listening to that on the radio. And baseball is the greatest game for radio. And so you have a, a decrease in radio and an increase in video. My memory of that isn't what, it would be revisionist to suggest that my memory of it is what you see with Ricky Henderson. My memory is the guy making the call on the radio. That's what I remember. In 1991, when Nolan Ryan pitches the seventh no-hitter, it was a Wednesday night. ESPN has a Wednesday night game. The, the contracts at the time were that if ESPN has a Wednesday night game, even the local cable people could not televise. That, that seventh no-hitter caused that rule to be changed where, oh wait a second, we didn't get to see the Ryan no-hitter because you had an ESPN game with, let's say, the Yankees and the Red Sox. Yeah. And that upset a lot of people. They all got to miss baseball history that they figured they should have been able to see. Yeah. And again, that's part of the whole, whole changing landscape. Yeah. But 89 is bananas. You have all these card companies doing well. You have great interest in baseball. If you were to quiz me, even though I haven't seen them since then, I could probably tell you who was on the cover of Beckett that year, like in order. Those covers meant so much to me. When I saw Kevin Mitchell on the cover, or Jim Abbott on the cover, or Will Clark, what was it like running a card shop? What was it like working in the offices of Beckett? Put me there in 1989. That's why we needed to hire Rich. <laughs> and other. Why the magazine felt like such an event each month. Talk to me about the deliberate decision to have slick pages. But it was only decided after we could get a contract with the printer, we would not be penalized. We didn't mind paying more for the color pages. They did cost more. But we could not afford to have that delay the price guide. So we had to have two separate printing deals, three really if you count the covers. And so we could do the very latest deadlines. There was big shows at the convention center in 89. But the yeah. National was here in Dallas in 90? In yes. 90. I got the, the 74 Mike Schmidt card at that in 1990. And that right. was the last show I set up at before I came to work at Beckett. What was it about Rich that made you want to bring him on, on board? Rich was a game changer. Rich was the only guy that would really step up and say, I can do that and really, really help me a lot. 
And so I didn't fully know that when I hired him, but I was hoping for that. And it certainly happened that way. In the price guide, you have to know what's going on the field, what's going on on cards, and there's always something new coming out. Rich is not intimidated by complicated big data problems. It was a lot of brute force, and Rich was up to the task. How were you reporting that? You're looking for as much empirical data as you can to synthesize and come up with what stuff is selling for in the secondary market. You basically have a baseline. We had regional correspondence, we had surveys. Since there weren't as many cards, it was easier to synthesize the data. What does that data look like? How was it communicated to you? Input we got from some of the regional correspondents were like a marked up the previous month. They would take the previous month's magazine and recorded sales. So and how were you able to make, make the first one then? Essentially by a survey. And I probably put in some baseline numbers of those early surveys. Well, here's the other thing. A book with Random House called House of Collectibles, and yeah. you meet with them a lot. And we always had regional correspondence. You the distribution earlier. Did you ever cap it as a number? We didn't cap it as much as we tried to have controlled growth. There were a lot of card shops in those days. So we tried to encourage them to not have returns and not overorder. Between, let's say, 87 to 92, what would you say was the biggest year for Beckett? It grew every year. And a lot of the growth was 89 with football and basketball and hockey in 90. Here's a little thing, Statue of the... Interesting because that's the, was it the year of the Atlanta 84 the year of the Yeah, no, that, that really hurt us bad. But 93 was a, was a pretty amazing year, yeah. 93 is actually the biggest magazine year. When you think of your favorite covers or your favorite times walking the halls at Beckett, your favorite time as an employee during that era, and I'm talking about just 87 to 92, specifically 89, what do you think of? What is what is a knee-jerk memory that comes up? Let's start with Rich. You know, here's a knee-jerk memory. I was I had still running stores in early 1990 until I came down. There was a Bo Jackson black and white cover on the baseball magazine. That cover sold so fast yeah. that we were all scrambling in New Jersey trying to get more copies. It was that successful. I mean, everybody wanted that. You know, Bo Jackson, his hip would get blown out a few months later. But, you know, I he think was, that's part yeah. of it, too, is that it was also the two-sport athlete time. And Michael Jordan, you know, Michael Jordan was a sentence. He hadn't even won a title by that point. You know, all these Gretzky's, Gretzky's the GOAT. Yeah. And he's traded, to, he's traded from Edmonton to Los Angeles, the, you know, the second biggest media market in the country. Things were coalescing in every sport. It really was. And that's what makes 1989, you know, and then score football is huge. Yeah. You know, score, you know, process football is well. overproduced, but score is immediate success in the hobby. And, so, and then ho hockey is, is, you know, not as popular. And basketball is the first year of hoops and the very important David Robinson right. card. He gets issued a card in his rookie year which is the first time a basketball player had had a card issued in his rookie year for almost 30 years. Yeah. There's a lot, and a pro set has rookie cards in their rookie year, which yeah. is the first time since 65 tops you have players in their rookie year. Right, right. So there is a lot going on in all four sports. And baseball, you've got all these great young players, they're still doing well, and then you're adding, I, I say Jim Abbott's very important because he's the one-armed pitcher. 
and and he's maybe the most popular in '89 to start the year of all the rookies. That's We're fun. in the new Beckett Building, and it's much better than the previous building. We're both kind of alums now for Beckett Media. Well, I have to express my gratitude not only for what you guys have done for us today, but for that 15-year-old <laughs> Phillies fan from Little Rock, Arkansas. Each month, it was my lifeline. It was my entire life. Some of my favorite moments for a few years was with my friend Steve Ainsworth and getting that magazine, going back to his house and staying up all night, pouring over it with our cards. Impossible to exaggerate the joy that gave me as a young person. I'm grateful forever for that. Thank you. It took me reconnecting with him, and he was like, we need to go to a card show. The next one, it's coming up. I'll be, in the, I'll be in the Starlight Room. Okay. We have a little comc set up in the Starlight Room. If I'm not there, just stop in and say hi to my teammates. Yes. And then we would see you guys in the wild, <laughs> as it were. Once again, I want to thank my guests, the man, Uncle Rich Klein and Dr. James Beckett. Make sure you're following those guys also on Twitter. Uh, S-A-B-R Geek. That's Sab R Geek. That's uh, Uncle Rich Klein. And uh, and you can just go ahead and follow uh, Beckett Media, Beckett Collectibles. And if you go on, uh, again, our Twitch channel, you will see the, a clickable link there. The code is there. You can just copy and paste it. It'll take you straight there. Make sure you're subscribing on Twitch. Uh, all types of neat stuff and perks and things, you know. Like so, we have the special guest coming up on Thursday. If you're a, if you're a subscriber, you'll be able to ask questions directly and be a part of so much fun and all the gaming and fun we've got coming up. It's going to be a big, big year for that channel and this show. Once again, I'm your host, Roy Turner. Uh, thank you for joining me. And again, shout out, cheers to all my Gen X people. We grew up in the 80s and we were groomed in the 90s and here this is here where we celebrate it. I'll see you next week. Growing up 80s and groomed in the 90s isn't just the name of this podcast. It's also the title of a forthcoming docu-series currently in production, directed by our host Roy Turner, chronicling real events in his personal life of growing up 80s in a small town in Arkansas. Stay tuned for release dates and premiere party information. Inquire within about investment opportunities on our website at tricky-kid.com. Growing Up 80s and Groomed in the 90s is produced by Tricky Kid Media and distributed by iHeartRadio. Make sure to download the iHeartRadio app so you can feel like a member of the Jetsons and be part of the future as well as the past. And make sure to follow along on Twitter at growing underscore up 80s for the latest in all of our 80s and 90s themed events and special guests. And touch them all. I'm on